0: Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals
1: of better deer hunting. And now your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. Today's episode is all about how you have to bring your A-game to the woods to tag out on any buzzer beater deer. Aside from our deer hunting brothers and sisters in the deep South, most of us are staring down the final chapter of the season. Throughout this podcast, I've pretty much gone week to week on how to try to stay on top of deer action throughout the season. The show will pretty much wrap up that style. But before we move on to shed antlers and winter scouting, and all that good stuff, there are still opportunities to arrow deer right now, but you better bring your A-game into the woods. One of the best things about having a ton of deer hunting experience is that there aren't a lot of surprises. One of the worst things about having a ton of deer hunting experience is there aren't a lot of surprises. Now I know Mark gets pissed at me when I speak in riddles cuz he's such a straight-laced fella, so I'll explain this better by using a couple of examples of late season experiences I've had. A few years ago, I set out for a late December muzzleloader hunt with the idea that it wouldn't be terribly difficult to put one more dough in the freezer. Now, I don't know about you folks, but when I get cocky like that, Mother Nature tends to knock me down a peg or two, usually pretty quickly. And even though I had a front stuffer dialed in and the deer scouted out, all it took was crunchy snow to absolutely ruin my chances. I couldn't get anywhere in the woods without spooking everything. I hunted anyway, and no, I didn't kill a deer. I almost saw one, though, I think. Or maybe it was a squirrel. Another time, more recently, I had a lone doe feeding her way in right after Christmas, It was dead calm out, and as soon as she made her way into range, I started to draw. I had put maybe three pounds of pressure on my bowstring when she acted as if I had blown an air horn in her ear. She swapped ends, took off, and snorted a jolly little tune to the rest of the deer herd that there was some prick up in the tree trying to kill them all. My failures in both cases didn't surprise me, which brings me full circle to my opening statement. I knew, just through the conditions and the variables of each hunt, that I probably didn't have enough to work with to make a successful late season hunt happen. That crunchy snow, it did me in. Those calm conditions on a super pressured old doe, forget it. In those cases, it's like I can see into the future and I can watch myself screw up. I'm sure a lot of you can relate if you hunt the late season. Without a badass spot to sit over some groceries and shoot them where they feed, the late season is just tough and it gets exponentially more difficult the more pressure the deer are. But here's the thing I've said many times before, and I'll probably say a whole bunch of times in the future, it's not impossible. You've got options, even if you're a public land hunter, even if you don't have a banging food source to sit over. Now, last week I talked about how I go about finding deer during this time of year. That's a good start, but if you find them and don't know how to hunt them, doesn't really matter. This brings me to my first and main point, proximity. I think the biggest criticism I have when I see others tree stands and blinds is that they are too close to where the deer are expected to be. I see this when I hunt with my buddies and I see it all of the time when I'm wandering public land or some of my private properties where other people have permission as well. Uh, Just picture this, like if there's a nice logging road, that's all scraped up and leads from the timber to the fields, you can bet your ass there'll be a stand on it. You can also bet your ass that that stand will be about three feet from the trail, pointed right in the direction where the deer will come from. Honestly, if you spend enough time hunting and scouting on public land, you start to get really familiar with how most hunters hang their stands. And from what I can tell, they aren't very good at it. It's not just deer hunters. I love to hunt late season pheasants and the amount of hunter trails pounded into the snow that lead just around the edge of the good cover. It's astounding it's so rare to see a set of boot prints wade right into the thick stuff where the birds actually are in the late season. I know those hunters are thinking that their dogs will flush or point the birds out on the edge, but most of the time, the roosters just run to the middle and let the danger pass. We often talk about how predictable game animals are or should be, but we rarely acknowledge how predictable hunters are. You can see this and almost call your shots by looking at Onyx and then walking into public land for whitetails. The stands will be exactly where you expect them, and there will be very little effort to conceal them. It seems like a lot of hunters think that as long as they're in a tree where deer travel, that's good enough, but it's not. And it leads to the problem of wanting an easy, close shot, but also not wanting to get busted. In the early season, this is sometimes possible. In December, it's usually not. And it gets worse because most of us haven't been shooting like we were in August, This tends to push us closer and closer with our anticipated shots, which spells trouble when you're working with jaded late season survivors and often very calm, very still, very, very quiet conditions. One little scratch of fleece on tree bark or the slightest flexing of cold bow limbs, and it's over if you're too close. Having gone down this road a depressing amount of times, I've realized that my ideal shot distance on late season deer is like 25 to 30 yards. Deer at that range have less chance of hearing me draw and less chance of their spidey senses sending their eyes skyward until they spot me and go on red alert. Now this goes for tree stand situations as well as when I'm on the ground, which is a late season strategy I employ a lot. While I like hunting from an elevated position whenever I can, I like shooting from the ground more. And when the leaves are down and the woods are bare, I can often tuck into some cedars or a deadfall and disappear better than when I'm up in a tree. The views aren't as good, of course, but the shots are less complicated and the cover is often the best you'll get. Plus, you can play the wind really well when you're on the ground. Now, infomercial guy here, but wait, there's more. Another thing that I like about being on the ground is that it means I'm not in the stands I've hunted all season long. While I don't want the deer to surprise me, I do want to surprise them, and it's not a big shocker for them to look up into a tree you've sat 14 times this season to see the same asshole looking back. Now, I can't prove this, but I've heard some pretty compelling stories and seen some pretty interesting things myself about how some deer seem to almost check stands. This is especially true with old does that don't tolerate a whole lot of BS. They often seem to know where your stands are and look up to confirm that you're there or not. This might lead them to bolt or just give you a wide berth. Or they might truck right on by but stay on super cagey full alert mode the entire time. All of those are bad and to some extent can be avoided by throwing them for a loop by getting on the ground and just hiding really well. You might be thinking, well, this is doable. This guy sure gives simple, easy-to-follow advice that I appreciate greatly. And while all that may be true, I'm not done. Let me circle back again to my opening statement about not being surprised much. That was only partially true. Deer can surprise the best of us at any given time, and they are really good at this in the late season. They move like ninjas, and the best way to have one close that you don't kill is to not be ready for it. If you're too busy trying to figure out, I don't know, what the next meme stock will be on Wall Street Bets, or you're posting a sick selfie to highlight the frost in your beard and your overall caveman badassery, you might not see the deer ghosting into range, which is bad. If your bow is hanging up and your phone is in your hand, you got to make a lot of movement to get into any kind of position to shoot. Movement that is silent will get you busted plenty, but movement is rarely silent. The goal is to see or hear the deer coming long before you want to shoot them so you can get ready and possibly draw well ahead of their arrival. I've done this a few times on deer in Minnesota and Wisconsin that I heard or saw coming in, and it's always worked out better for me then waiting for them to get close and then drawing. I've still been picked off, but it's been too late for the deer. The issue here is that if you haven't been shooting, you might not want to draw too early and try to hold steady for an extended period of time while a deer works in. Fatigue in your shoulders or your bow arm is an accuracy killer. And it's one of the things that tends to cause us to panic when we shoot again, this is no bueno watching the deer or hearing them as they approach will give you a chance to be ready for the shot of course watching them is better than hearing them because you don't want to be drawn on a deer that you don't want to shoot because then you've got to let down but if you're out there with low standards which you probably should be if you're listening to this podcast then it's a pretty safe bet that that crunch 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 in the leaves of the snow is being made by some kind of shooter even if it's just a delicious youngster Now, this close encounter should not be the first time you're at full draw during your sit. I highly recommend taking a few minutes right when you settle in, or right at first light if you're morning hunting, to draw and aim a few times. This will clue you into the fact that your bow might have developed a little creak due to the cold weather, or it'll tell you that your bino harness is awful close to your string, considering you've layered up to stave off the arctic conditions. It's a great opportunity to learn that the hood on your winter hunting jacket is a bark scraper, Or that the platform of your stand is prone to metal pops and clicks when you stand up and shift into position. Ask any hunter who has quite a few seasons under his or her belt if extra clothing has ever saved a deer's life in their world, and you'll probably hear a few stories. The first time this happened to me, I was bow hunting during the last days of Minnesota's muzzleloader season when I was still in high school. It was a weird afternoon with snow on the ground and pouring rain coming down. While I expected to be miserable, I didn't expect to see any deer. So I was really surprised when a basket-racked eight-pointer started walking down the trail right at my stand. At that time in my life, that was a big deer and a big deal, and I wanted him in the worst way. When he got to like 10 yards, I drew, aimed at him, and I missed him by about four feet. Since it was muzzleloader season, cold and rainy... I was wearing everything I could and a hat on a cheap orange vest that didn't fully button. But what it did do, besides theoretically keeping me from getting shot, was get in the way of my string during the shot cycle and throw my arrow way off. It was a bummer and something I could have easily gotten ahead of had I drawn and aimed a few times when I got into stand. As a side note here, I ran into conditions with snow on the ground on New Year's Eve, maybe, I don't know, eight or ten years ago, and I had a great hunt then as well. Deer move during the rain throughout the early and the mid-season like crazy. Maybe they do just as consistently in the late season as well. That's not much of a thing to rely on in the northern reaches where I live, but I'll bet it has some validity for all you l- listeners who live farther south or just happen to run into one of these weird you know, late December rainstorms. Then another thing to consider is your gloves. Grippy gloves on your bow hand will cause you to torque your bow which is bad. A glove that interferes with your release in any way, that's also bad. This is where I go full Michael Jackson mode. When I late season bow hunt, I use a slippy cloth type of glove on my bow hand and no glove on my release hand. Instead, I keep hand warmers in both pockets or in a muff. And I only bring my hands into play when it's time to get ready. Sometimes I get really, really cold hands when the deer don't follow the script and they're in close proximity but I'll take that over making a bad shot because I'm using the wrong gloves. It's just something to consider. Now, all side notes, well, aside, details matter. If you're not in the sweet spot to get a shot at the right, least likely to be detected range, then you're in trouble. That's the reality of this stuff. And it's also something that leads me back to a point I've danced around quite a bit on this podcast, which is that you need to set up to kill a lot of hunters bow hunters and gun hunters they set up to see this strategy isn't great during any time of the season unless you're truly doing it from an observational standpoint sort of like a stepping stone to the next setup in the late season setting up to see is a great way to be seen set up instead to kill this is a lot harder for folks to do than it seems And when you're sitting at work, pretending to make important spreadsheets or whatever it is that you actually do while you're listening to hunting podcasts in your cubicle, you'll think that's no problem, but we are creatures of habit and there are patterns to our behavior. One of those is to default to hunting spots that allow us to see a lot, fight that and think about how hard it is to earn a late season shot. Think about how you'd want that shot to unfold. You'd want to be undetected, of course so that you can avoid the panic of aiming at a just about to bolt deer. Relaxed, unsuspecting deer at doable, but not super close range, those are the goal. This means you've got to be open to hunting from the air or the ground and truly cognizant of your hiding spots in the conditions in which you hunt. I know this sounds like a lot, but I really recommend you hunt out the final days of your season, even if you've only got an antlerless tag left. This is because deer season first and foremost is a gift, which I'll cover in greater detail next week. It's also because difficult hunting makes you better. Easy hunting doesn't. Just like when you're single, easy can be fun, but it's not all that rewarding. A challenge is something that sticks with you and makes you feel better about life. And in the realm of deer hunting, there are a few greater challenges than killing a late season deer of any shape or size with archery tackle. Now, while it might seem like a stretch, putting in real late-season effort before the clock runs out will make you better at all of this stuff. I know that's not as exciting as buying a new call or loading up on trail cameras to saturate the woods with 24-7 surveillers, but it is one of the long-game ways in which you'll learn not only how to understand deer better, but how better to deal with them when they are at their peak predator-avoiding performance. Plus, what else do you have to do right now? Ice fish? Come on. There's time for that. But until then, get into the woods because it's almost time to put the bow away and start scouting again, which means it's almost time for like nine months of not deer hunting. So get out there. That's it for this week, my late season hunting friends. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast. Be sure to visit themeateater.com slash wired to check out more whitetail content and visit the Wired to Hunt YouTube channel as well to see the videos we drop every single week.
0: Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup, seafoam